This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I am so glad you've joined me tonight for this particular service. It is my prayer that we can turn this studio into a sanctuary, and we'll all be blessed together, both in word and music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Galatians chapter 6, and I'm beginning reading at verse 11. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted by the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks of Jesus branded on my body. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which are thy strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Several years back, a group of prominent people were given a list of a hundred famous events and asked to rank them in terms of their importance and significance for humankind. Top place was given to Columbus's discovery of America. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ died for 14th place, along with the Wright brothers' first plane flight. But for the believer, it's totally different. The believer is simply drawn to the mystery of the cross as the essential message of Scripture. The Apostle Paul affirmed, But far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I unto the world. Paul becomes very personal in his angry letter to the Galatians. In vivid detail, he describes his conversion experience on the Damascus Road, his credentials as an apostle, his career as a missionary, 
The sacrifice that she has made for Christ. He deliberately builds himself up in the eyes of his hearers for no other reason, to knock himself down. Paul wants these foolish Galatians to know just how little stock he places in any human component of Christianity. Faith lies not in anything we can do for God, but in something God has done for us, and something God has done without us, and even in spite of us. So does a believer have any cause to glory, then let he or she look away from self, away from his or her own small achievements and tiny achievements, away to a cross that towers or the wrecks of time. Far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We glory in the cross of Christ because the cross reveals the visible love of the invisible loving God. The Apostle Paul wrote to believers in Rome, But God commended His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In human experience, it's a rare thing for one person to give his or, life, his or her life for another, even if the latter be a good person, though there have been a few who've had the courage to do it. Yet the proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is the greatest single thing you know about God? asked a cynical young college student of a minister. The minister thought a long time before he answered, but then he said there are many great things one can say about God, but I believe the greatest, most perplexing, most marvelous thing I know about God is God's love. Apart from God's love, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ would be totally impossible to understand. Leslie Weatherhead tells of being on board a ship out in the middle of the Mediterranean they were passing near to Stromboli, the famous island volcano. Suddenly there was a burst of flame from the volcano that lit up the ocean for miles around. In a little while, the flame subsided and it was dark again. What did it mean? It meant that for a few hours there had been revealed something of the fire that's burning in the heart of that mountain. Well, let me tell you something. That's a great illustration of the cross. As we see Jesus there, think of his reasons for being there recognizing his dying to save an indifferent humanity, his offer of redemptive love in terms of forgiveness, we suddenly realize that at the cross, we're not looking at a cross, we're looking through a window right into the very heart of the living God of this universe. And what we see is God's never-ending personal love for each of us. D.M. Bailey, who was a great Christian theologian, he said uh, something along the lines of this, the most remarkable fact in the whole history of religious thought is that when the early Christians pondered back and looked at this dreadful thing that had happened, it made them think of the redeeming love of God. Two things need to be said about the redeeming love of God. First of all, it's always taking the initiative, and secondly, it's always for the undeserving. I have a friend that said she absolutely despises cancer. She's despised cancer since she first read about what a loathsome disease it was. She hated even more when she would go into the hospitals and visit the people in her church for whom this was devastating. But she said she hated it most of all when she visited a woman in Mexico, Missouri, who was gasping for breath, and it turned out, of course, that was her mother. She said she has loathed cancer ever since. Well, that's the way I feel about sin. I've hated it since I first read about it and knew that I was a sinner. I've hated it when I see what happens in the world because of it, greed and killing and war and all of these horrible things that are going on in our society. But I hate it most of all when I see an innocent man hanging on a cross bloody for your sins and mine. 
Not long ago, I heard one of the most meaningful religious experiences I've ever heard. I'm not going to share with you the whole thing. I'm just going to share a little of it. This woman said she had five children. She said she had not wanted any one of them. She had hated every minute of her pregnancy, especially with this last child. She said that she had sunk so low in her life she tried to have an abortion. She tried to have this child killed. But the child was born, and when he was born, he was born perfect in every way. And she said the amazing thing about this child was that he was the most affectionate child she had, that he would go around saying, I love you, Mommy, when the other children had never said that. I love you, Mommy, I love you, Mommy, I love you, Mommy. She said she finally came to realize that in the form of that little child's I love you, Mommy, that was God telling her that he still loved her. No matter what you've done, what you haven't done, what you're going to do, what you don't do, God loves you more than I can possibly say. Sometimes when I think of his love, I think of this little poem. Listen, I sometimes think about the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails and crowns of thorn and Jesus crucified for me. But even could I see him die, I could see a little part of that great love which like a fire is always burning in his heart. We glory in the cross of Christ because we see the visible love of the invisible loving God. And then we glory in the cross of Christ because we realize that we too have a victory. Oh yes, this cross. This cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's the power of God to those of us who are being saved. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says we have a victory over evil. In one of the churches I served, there was a man who attended church every Sunday for six months. He never missed a Sunday. This particular man made some wooden crosses for me, like this one. And I kept them in my study. They were beautiful crosses. I kept them on my desk. And then once when I went to annual conference, his wife called me on the telephone at the conference. And she said, Hal, he just raped his own granddaughter. Well, it took me a little while to get myself together. But when I got myself together, I went by to see her. Then I went by the jail to see him. And I went back to my study. I was so disappointed in him. I didn't want to have anything to do with these crosses he had made. And so I was getting ready to bam them into the garbage can. And just as I did, suddenly God spoke to me. And he said something like this. He said, wasn't that the reason I died? And I suddenly realized that Jesus had died on that cross for sinners. And I very carefully put that cross back up on my desk. Imagine how I felt the next day when I went to the jail to visit him. And he said with tears in his eyes, last night I confessed my sin and God forgave me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think one of the greatest pictures of God that I have is that of a great garbage collector. When I first read that in somebody's book, I thought it was a sacrilege to call God a garbage collector. But as I said, it's one of my favorite pictures of God. Suppose you move into a new home and you make no provision for the disposal of your garbage. What do you decide to do? You're just going to stack it out there in the kitchen for a few days. So you put the garbage out there and stack it up, and you know what happens. A big stench comes, and it begins to poison your whole house. So you decide, i got to get this out of here. So you move it out in the backyard, and you stack it up there for a few days on the back porch. Well, the first thing you know, that stench that was in your house moves out into the neighborhood and begins to, to poison the whole neighborhood. So what do we do in the town of the city? We have to make an arrangement for those things which we can't get rid of ourselves. Somebody to come by and pick it up, take care of the garbage of our lives. Well, that's what God did on this cross. 
God made an arrangement to pick up the garbage through Jesus Christ. I'm talking about sin and guilt. God took that away and freed us. I think one of the greatest football games I ever saw was the Cotton Bowl game many years ago between Alabama and Rice. Neither team had done much in the first quarter. Rice had the ball deep in their own territory about the 15-yard line. Suddenly the ball was handed off to a Rice halfback by the name of Dickie Magle. He was through the Alabama line and through the Alabama secondary, and he was long gone for a touchdown. There wasn't an Alabama man within 30 yards of him when he hit the midfield strife. When all of a sudden, this young fellow on the Alabama bench got up off the bench, and he ran out and smeared the guy, and then jumped up and ran back and sat on the bench as if nobody could hear him, see him. Only 75,000 people saw him. For a moment, there was a stunned silence. And then people began to say, dirty bum, dirty player, get him out, throw him out of the game. Well, in an inevitable but unusual decision, they gave the touchdown to Rice. But this boy continued to sit with his head down on the bench. People looked at the name in the program, and the boy's name was Tommy Lewis, and besides, his name was Captain. He was a captain of the team. He knew better than to do that. But then it suddenly dawned on people. Tommy Lewis could no more explain what he had done that day than I can explain some of the things I've done this last week, or you can explain some of the things you've done. But you know, that kind of experience can ruin a young man's life. Well, he continued to sit on the bench, but then in a little while, people saw the Alabama coach. He got up off his seat, and he walked clear down to the end of the bench, and he put his arms around Tommy Lewis. Nobody knows what he said. But he must have said something like this. Get back in there, fellow. We've got to have you in the game. We need you. You're a part of the team. And don't you know his words brought great forgiveness to Tommy Lewis? He was restored to the team and to the fellowship. We have a victory over evil. And then we have a victory over suffering. In the final analysis, there's no answer to suffering. Will it comfort the bereaved parents of a dead child to say your child's death is a result of the divine impartiality of God, even if it's true, will it comfort? Or if you think contribution brings good, that pain brings good, makes us grow, if that's the way it is, why, do, why are we trying so hard to abolish suffering, to get rid of it if it's so good and it makes a positive contribution? Or if you subscribe to the theory no gain without pain, can't you see the place where we are? We've arrived at this place. The fact is, we don't need an explanation for suffering. We need a power. We don't need a theory about it. We need a victory. And that's why God gave us Jesus on the cross. He gave us a victory over our suffering. A victory over our suffering. You know, my faith is definitely the faith of an empty cross. But sometimes when I go into a Catholic hospital and I see the crucifix on the wall, Jesus hanging on the cross, I get the feeling that it belongs there. Why? Because somehow in the suffering of the cross, we meet God where God met us in the midst of pain and tears. We have a victory over suffering. And then we have a victory over death. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. Eugene O'Neill made this point in his book, Lazarus Laughed. Here's the situation. You remember Lazarus was the one Jesus brought back from the dead, the brother of Mary and Martha. He left his hometown of Bethany and went down to Athens, Greece. And while he was in the square, he ran across Gaius Caligula, the Emperor Tiberius Caesar, chosen successor. He was crazy, this guy was. 
And while he was standing there with him, some of the spies came up and said, Caligula, they hate you. They hate you. The people hate you. He said, I don't care whether they hate me or not. He said, I like to watch people die. Let's just keep death dangling before their eyes. And then he takes a look at Lazarus who's standing there, and he says, Lazarus, <clears throat> by the way, I understand you're telling people to laugh at death. You keep on telling them that, and you'll be the next person to die. Lazarus looks at him with a smile on his face like a man in love with God, and he says, death is dead, Caligula. Death is dead. It wasn't just Jesus that died at the cross. Death also died. And so as Paul said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's one other thing here. We glory in the cross of Christ because the cross has given us a blessed stewardship for which God has made us responsible. To this point, Jesus has been carrying the cross for us. But now he wants us to carry the cross for him. He says, if anyone would come after me, let he, she, deny self and take up his or her cross and follow me. An author said that he and his wife went to the school to see their four-year-old child in the Christmas pageant. He said it was as bad as he thought it was going to be. He said when he got there, finally the teacher came out on the stage and said the connecting class is going to present the, the manger scene. About that time, the, they just barely got the crib on the stage before the curtain came down. The janitor got it out there and he ran off the stage. Well, in a few minutes they looked up and here came three Virgin Marys from behind the curtains. These three Virgin Marys came up and stationed themselves around the crib, and they began to wave at their relatives. There had to be three virgins because, you see, they had costumes they connected, collected over the years, and so they had to have three. They were followed by two little Josephs. They came out and sat be beside the crib, and they began to pick at their noses. They were followed by 20 little angels, 20 little girls dressed in white flimsy robes and big gauze wings. They were followed by 20 little shepherd boys dressed in burlap sacks and carrying a, a, an assortment of things that were supposed to be crooks. But at this point, an unfortunate discovery came to, to light. The teacher during the practice sessions had had each one of these little children stand on a certain place on the stage because she wanted the symmetry to be correct around the crib. She had each little angel standing on a circle, each little shepherd standing on a cross. But that had been done when they had practiced in their ordinary clothes. But this was during the play. They came out with those robes and big gauze wings. Well, they were standing not simply over the circles, but these angels were standing over the crosses as well. But then angels were treated as they had never been treated before. These little shepherd boys, driven by God only knows what, started pushing them around trying to find the crosses. Finally, this one little boy had been so frustrated, he'd gone back and forth, he couldn't find his place where he was supposed to stand, and he happened to see the teacher in the wings back there. And I'm going to tell you exactly what he said. He shouted to the teacher, because of these damn angels, I can't see the lights. I can't find the cross. I can't find the cross. When we are not carrying our own cross, we're hiding it. And we're not being the stewards God calls us to be. I want to show you something. Every Christian should know about five laws of stewardship. It takes time and talent and a tithe plus prayer to make a good, faithful Christian. All right, we're going to take this dollar. We're going to put it in the hands of a stingy giver. You got that? In the hands of a stingy giver. Here are the five laws of stewardship. 
First, God is the owner of all things by right of creation and regeneration. Everything we have has been entrusted to us for a little while by God. Just for a little while, we all have these things. And then when we got bad, God recreated us in the image of Christ. So God is the owner of all things by right of creation and regeneration. If God is the owner of all things by right of creation and regeneration, then I am a steward. A steward looks after something for somebody else. A steward doesn't own anything. A steward just looks after something for somebody else. If God is the owner of all things and I am a steward, then I am responsible. I am responsible for choosing, for witnessing, for giving, for loving, for serving, for making decisions for Christ. If I am faithful, and responsibility is the key to stewardship, if I am faithful, I will be rewarded. What is my reward? More work. If you ask somebody to do something, they do it well. They're always rewarded with more work. If I am unfaithful, I will be punished. What is my punishment? My failures. If I fail to be what God wants me to be in terms of stewardship, then the work of the church will slow down and come to a stop altogether. We take this dollar, we put it in the hands of the church. I want you to notice something. My hand, my hand is open. It's open like God's hand. Have you ever thought this just may be the only hand God has? So far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We glory in the cross of Christ because it reveals the visible love of the invisible loving God. We glory in the cross of Christ because the cross says that we have a victory over evil, over suffering, and over death. And we glory in the cross of Christ because God has given us a blessed stewardship for which he has made us responsible. Now let me close this. That was a movie being shown that depicted the life of Christ. The movie was full of Christian people. People in the movie, just full of it there. Well, when they got to the scene where Jesus was carrying his cross, going to Golgotha, the theater got very, very quiet. This one man was concentrating because he knew it was the most important event to ever take place in human history. About this point, a lady turned to another lady in front of him and said, let's go. This is the place where we came in. The man couldn't believe she was so careless, so crass, at the greatest moment of history to say, let's go. This is the place where we came in. But then he says, you know, I got to thinking, she's right. She was right, and she still is. The cross of Jesus Christ is the place where we all come in. It is our glory. Let us pray. Lord, how grateful we are for the cross. We know the cross and the resurrection, indeed, the heart of our faith. Help us, O oh Lord, to not shy away from the responsibilities you call us to because we know that you are with us in love and grace. Help us, O oh God, because we are aware of that grace, to be full of love and grace to all others. Thank you again for this time together, and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all things. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining us for this service tonight. I'm so grateful to you. I pray that you'd share this with other people. If we can be prayer partners with you, please get in touch with us. And we thank you for standing with us in prayer and financial support. Have a good evening. In the silence Until you come And sit a while with me You raise me up So I can stand on mountains You raise me up to walk
Sure. 